Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He is Jeff Fiegels. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to be with you for the next 60 minutes. Big Blue Kickoff Live brought to you by Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. There We're going to get into a variety of different topics over the next 60 minutes. And we'll also get to your phone calls. Look ahead to the draft. Also get through to some NFL news and notes. Because this is the time of the year, Jeff, where there's so much speculation out there. Oh, leading too much. In to the start of free agency that you don't know what to put stock into, what to put substance into. But what I find interesting is I think there's going to be some movement with the quarterbacks in free agency. Mm -hmm. And I think that is going to impact the conversation about how aggressive teams are going to be in terms of selecting some of these prospects in the draft. And that's something to monitor mm-hmm. because you've got the Saints have to make a decision with okay. three quarterbacks let's due just, to be free agents. Okay. Well, let's just let's just say that he stays there. Drew Brees? Okay, yeah, so okay. that means that Teddy... I, I think he will. I agree. Yeah. I, I mean, assuming he doesn't retire. Yeah. That's the only thing that could be the okay. curveball. Yeah. But I think Drew's coming back. So Teddy Bridgewater could very well yeah, I, look I don't at the think, market. Yeah, I think he's definitely going to hit the, hit the market. So there's one guy. Because Tyson Hill is the guy there that's going to be their next quarterback or he's going to want to be his next quarterback. He's even said it publicly. I want to yeah. play quarterback or you need to send me somewhere else. Well, and he's a restricted free agent. So I think if Drew yeah. doesn't retire, he comes back. In all likelihood, the Saints will look to make Taysom the backup, and then Teddy will probably pursue a starting job elsewhere. Yeah. And I think that they're going to probably have to have they're, they're going to have to have this decision sooner or later with Drew Brees. I think that he will give them the, an idea of what he's doing just because he's been there for so long and just so it, so that the team knows that they have to move on, whatever which way they're going to go. Yeah, heads up so that they heads up. know yeah. for sure. Hey, dude, this is what I'm this doing. Is the end of I'm going to hit the market. Okay, great, and this is going to be our plan. Or do are you going to pay me one year at $30 million or whatever it is? So Okay. Yeah, so that's how I think that could very well play out. But Teddy Bridgewater, if you're in the business of trying to find a quarterback, you could do a lot worse than Teddy Bridgewater. He was solid when he filled in for Drew Brees. They went 5-0. and I think he's far removed now from that serious knee injury. Of course, trap. yeah. So he's proven he can still go out there. He can be productive. That's going to be one name that is going to be out there. Ryan Tannehill is another one. And yep. in all likelihood, the Titans will bring him back. But, but you don't know. You don't know. He may get interest. Somebody may blow him away with an offer. <laughs> Maybe the Dolphins want him back. <laughs> <laughs> Miami, uh, all of a sudden, realizing they may have made a mistake. Yeah, in, uh, we changed the water. We changed yeah. the water <laughs> over <laughs> here. Because <laughs> so that's, that's incredible. He just he leaves from there basically almost out of the league when you think about it. Yeah. And he comes back and has this remarkable year that – and, I, you know, we've been around it long enough to know that it, the system count. The system is – and the coaching oh, is all about, you know, because there are guys that can do that. And Ryan Tannehill was a classic example of how you can go somewhere else and somebody takes your skill set and does the best things for it. And that's what he did. So, yeah, he's a guy that's going to – he made himself some money, that's for sure. He did indeed. But I think you bring up an excellent point, and we were actually touching on this on yesterday's program, the environment of the quarterback matters, Jeff. No question. And Tannehill is the poster child yeah, of that, is he not? There is no doubt. Right? Absolutely. You take a guy out of one environment, yeah. you move him into another, all of a sudden things yeah. start to click. So does yeah. that mean that the quarterback doesn't know how to play? Or it's more of a reflection of you now gave him the ingredients that he needed sure. that were lacking in the previous stop. And, and like you said, you know, it's about coaching, there are certain things that guys can pick up on certain players and teach them different ways. And, you know, whether it's – and I, I feel like the big – like quarterback is a really – it's a position that has to be taught in a way that you got to do this for the system, right? I think offensive linemen is, are the same way, in my opinion. I think the the coach, like for instance, Colombo is coming in here. I feel like him being an ex NFL 
offensive linemen at a high level is going to be able to teach the system to these guys here and teach them techniques and things that maybe Hal Hunter or any other coach may not have because they didn't play the position. And I think that will help them. Same thing with the quarterback position that we're talking about. There are certain coaches that can just, you know, they're quarterback whispers. They can come in yeah. and they can teach these things. I don't know who it was down in Tennessee. You may know who the quarterback coach was there. Well, Arthur Smith was the offensive coordinator. I can okay. tell you that. And I think he's done a nice job since Matt LaFleur left to grab the Packers job. He's been very creative. Because I think, to your point, it's not just Tannehill having the environment. It's also the play calling. Sure. As you just mentioned. But I I feel like, okay, so if you got a player, you sit there and you're watching film on them, which, by the way, these coaches watch so much film, it's ridiculous. No no wonder they all can't see because they're just stuck to these these monitors. You look at, at Ryan Tannehill and you say, okay, this play doesn't work for him. You know, you're looking at all the stuff he's doing bad in, in Miami. Well, why is it not working? Well, because he can't do X, Y, and Z. Let's not put him in that situation again. Let's take him out of that situation. Look at what he does best. Create the environment around him and let him flourish. That's what he did. And I think that that's what you hear about Joe Judge. You hear about him when he says, I don't want to have a coach tell me that they need this. I want to, I want to have a coach tell me this is how we're going to make this guy better. Okay, because a lot of times you can do the same. I don't have the receivers. I need to get a six foot four guy to, to you know to help me in the red zone. I, you know what? I don't. Want, he doesn't want to hear that. He wants to hear how are we going to get Darius Slayton to be our guy in the in the in the in the red zone. That's what he wants to hear. And I think that it, it it's all about coaching sometimes and getting these guys to play. Now Ryan Tannehill. You know, he, if he doesn't get his money, he could walk. So he could be a guy that could influence this draft and could go to a team maybe that signs them before they're thinking about drafting for the future. So you have the Saints situation. You have Tennessee. I'll throw in Cam in Carolina. Yeah, you got him. if they don't bring him back, all of a sudden he's on the market. Well, the owner had come out and said, you know, it all depends if, about his health. If you're healthy, you're yep. back. If not, and what, and what, listen, the guy's missed 16 games in two years. That's basically one whole season. I have a feeling they're moving on from him. I, I do. I think they're just going to say, you know what? We're just going to go to the next chapter and, you know, hey, it's been great and see what Cam can do. We've got Jameis Winston's another one. Jameis Winston, Tampa Bay, correct. That's another one. Phillip Rivers was just very intriguing by the Chargers. There, yeah. Okay, that's going to shake things up, Jeff. No question. Because if you're a team and you think he's the missing piece. Indianapolis, maybe. I agree with you. Yeah. I've been throwing out Colts, Colts, Colts because Frank Reich is there. I feel like with him with the Chargers, and I feel like Colts, 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 Colts. They're gonna. I think they're they're a landing spot for some of these players that we're talking about. It may not be the guy that you and I think. It might be somebody, but I have a feeling that's the landing spot for one of these quarterbacks. And to me, you look at you look at Philip Rivers. I I feel like he has a year left in him. Oh yeah, you know maybe two. He had a bad year last year, but you know things. There's a lot going on down there. In L.A., they moved from San Diego. They moved to a new area. They move. It's just like it's a lot of stuff. Maybe you just kind of like just want to get away and, and, and start over, and sometimes that can help a guy. As you get older, players, you know, we – you don't like change. Players don't like change, okay? But sometimes change is good in a good way that you can go and say, okay, you know what? My family's okay with moving. That's a big part of everybody's life as an older player now, like a Philip Rivers. My family's okay with us moving. All 12 and a half kids if he has. He has a half a kid. <laughs> but, you know, that kind of sits, football sits well with him. And then they wanted to just kind of like a, a, the last chapter of my career, I'm going to spend it in this, this city. And you know what? They have a team to win. They've got, a, they've got a good coach. 
And maybe this is a situation for him. And he could flourish. He could go there and do well. I mean, he's still got some time to play. I think he's got more more ability to play left than Eli did, in my opinion. Well, he was just plagued by turnovers this year. Sure. It wasn't yeah. as if Phillip Rivers couldn't play. It was the fact that that team turned the ball over yep. at a rate which was just impossible to overcome. I'm completely with you. I think he has a lot of gas in the tank. I mentioned Frank Reich, Nick Sirianni who is the offensive coordinator in Indianapolis, was his QB coach with the Chargers. So there's familiarity. Mm -hmm. And here's the wild card. Wow. And this, to me, is what you just hinted at. Jacoby Brissett right now is under contract, but they only gave him a two-year deal, Jeff. He only has one year left on his contract, and there's wiggle room to maybe even get out of that. So that makes Indianapolis more and more attractive that that's going to be a team that you figure is going to look for a QB. And I don't know the number Jacoby Brissett is making. As So could they just keep him? They could, they could very well is keep he, him. Is he a $12, 15000000 million guy? Or is well, he they gave a, him a two-year deal for about $30 million. So he is That's up That's what there. they gave him. Yeah. So, okay. And they, gave him some, they definitely gave him some guaranteed money. They did. I think 20 of the 30 is guaranteed. That's over the course of the two years. I don't know how much he was given already, Jeff. Yeah. But from what I believe I've read, there's a bonus due in March, a roster bonus. Okay. And you know a sometimes yeah. that That's... dictates whether or not the guy's going to be on the roster. And if they can have conversations with Rivers or his reps prior to that sure. and hammer something out, I know there's the a lot of— the, the, the legal L-E-G-L— Tampering period. Yes, the legal tampering. That's a good way to uh, phrase it. Because That's what it is. We're not naive. We know there's conversations that at least go on with back channels. <laughs> there's no question. They not go through the front channels. No. They certainly go through the back channels. But I feel, and the other thing, I haven't had a chance to, to talk to you about this. I've mentioned it many times with Paul and, and John, is that with the new CBA coming up and all the, the money that you can't spread out anymore and the no June 1st cut thing benefit, there's a lot of things to understand about the CBA and how things are going to work going forward with no, with no, not, not this year. It's the following season. It, the CBA expires. So don't get excited. Yeah. Know, after this season, the after CBA, this, season, this is but, the uh, final one, but you know, for some of these contracts and things that you're going to put in, there's got, there's a lot of stuff that they have to think about. You know, I don't know all of it, but I do know that the, you know, when nothing ends this after this season, there's some things that have to be worked out. Well, so. you're 100% right, Jeff. To me, the most interesting aspect of what goes into effect this year that we haven't seen in previous years simply because this is the final year of the CBA, teams can use two tags. That's they right. Can the, use transition the transition and, and the, the franchise. Right. Normally, you can only use one of the two. That's right. So you can retain the services of two players that may be scheduled to hit the market, and you haven't worked out a long-term deal. You want to hold on to them. You want to at least be able to match that gives you a tool that was not at your disposal in previous years. So that, to me, is another thing in addition to what's becoming a rather attractive quarterback market, I think is going to shake things up that maybe most people are not necessarily anticipating. And by the way, if you're, for those scoring at home, these the tags and everything are before free agency starts. Yeah. So we're going to have an idea. You got your list of all your free agents at every position. Um, some of those, those names are going to dry up because they're going to be franchised, which means you can't leave. Um, or transition means... They can match an offer from some other team, or they they don't have to, or or if they say no, then he could go to that thing. Yeah. It just gives them a first right of refusal, is what it is. Well, and it also Jeff says to the player, go test the market. That's you right. set the market well, as opposed to we set the and market. And believe me, there, there are there's plenty of teams that do this with their own free agents. Okay, because here's the thing, every team is evaluating their own roster as we speak. Um, I know they're doing it upstairs. I've, I've, I've talked to some coaches up there about the free agency. They're doing all their reports on their positions. 
Here's the thing. And their own guys. So if you have your own group of free agents, they're going to try to keep those guys as much as they can. And when I mean their own group, there's there's exclusive rights free agents. There's restricted. There's un, unrestricted. So there's a whole slew of guys there. If the guys that they want to keep, they're going to keep. They're going to they have an, an opportunity to keep them. The other guys, the unrestricted free agents, let's say the Marcus Goldens of the world, things like that. They may go to them and say, listen, this is what we want to keep you. This is what we're willing to give you now. Or you can go test the market, but we may not be there when you come back to us. That's a tricky thing for a player because yeah. a bird in the hands were two in the bush, right? You and, and it's happened before where there are players that feel like their marketability is much higher than what the team thinks they are. And it proves out to be the truth. The team thought you were this and nobody else thought you were this. And now you're coming back to the team and you know what happened? They moved on from you because they figured they could go get this other guy. And then your your market value has now plummeted. So there's a lot of risk involved with this free agents thing. Now, the point I'm trying to make is, is with this extra transition tag, a guy like Marcus, um, um, Marcus Golden, Golden, he's a guy that you may be able to go to and say, listen, because I think he's one of those people where the market's going to tell you what Marcus uh, Marcus Golden is worth, right? The Giants have an idea, and it's a great way that because as a free agent, you don't have to go back to your own team and give them a chance for you to sign. But a transaction tag gives the team the ability to have the first right of refusal. Yeah. So that's an important designation because you get it to use that and the, and the, the franchise tag. Now, maybe you... And I'm getting off. I'm getting off course here. But you know, when when you bring bring up this idea of the two tags, you got to start to think about which players from the Giants roster now would you maybe use on. I those. think Golden is a good candidate. I agree with you, Jeff. I think I think, that's I think a he's good an outstanding for the one. transition. Now, tag. what about the regular franchise tag? Is the Leonard Williams a guy for that? If they're concerned about losing him, if somebody well, I think is going I, to blow him away with an offer and they're not willing to go there, it's something you have to consider. But this is the other thing connected before you expand on that, Jeff. Sure. The tags are placeholders. So with respect to the salary cap, if I give somebody a franchise tag and let's say, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, let's say for defensive linemen it's $15 million, okay. the $15 million is going on your cap. You can't just then go spend that $15 million. No, no, it comes so off. So it, it's part of the cap. Then if you rescind the transition or franchise tag or the guy signs elsewhere, then you get that $15 million back. But once you give out the tag, unless you work out a long-term deal, it's a placeholder. It's eating up part of your cap space that you do not have the freedom to then spend elsewhere. Correct. However, it could be the less expensive way to go because if you use the number 15, I'm, I'm taking – I have a $40 million cap. I'm just – you know, round numbers here. I'm moving 15 away for that X player where if I'm going to sign him to a long-term deal, that 15 could turn into 21. It could, or it could lessen. Or it could go from 15 to seven. Correct. Right? And then the following year, you may have to pay him more. It depends Correct. on how you structure the contract that, and the that, cap hit. And yeah. I think that, you know, as far as people are, the teams are always looking ahead to say, okay, well, you know what? In two years from now, we're going to be in, right now we're in cap hell, but in two years from now, we're going to be pretty good. Well, I think that's what the Giants were doing two years ago, looking at 2020, saying to themselves, we're going to be pretty healthy in 2020 to go out and get some people. And the Giants are. The last report I saw, and this is just from reading stuff, and I know it's nothing official that we say on here, but it, there was something like 56 million or something that the Giants, I think they were like, I think they might have been in the top six teams that had the most money to spend 
um, somewhere in there. I don't remember where I was reading it, but the fact is, is that that money there and, and Dave Gettleman also told us that they're going to take some money as they always do. There's no secret here. They take money away just because they need it, just in case there's in, uh, injured reserve stuff. Yeah, street that free agents. Yeah, stuff like that. So um, is there a list of, of, of the cap? We can space? look that up. I think to me, the best way to describe what you're saying is they're in a healthy situation. Healthy, very healthy. Where it's not as if they have very little wiggle room. They have wiggle room to sign their own and go after players. And they also have a little bit of wiggle room to even go to their current roster and, and make some cuts, okay? And do some things and reorganize, readjust some contracts. And maybe if you wanted to get up there a little bit further. Um, but it's, it's it, I, I just, and I told this, to uh, I think it was Paul the other day when we were speaking about free agency. As a player, I love free agency, obviously, right? <laughs> but now that I'm out of the game and we're analyzing these things, I don't like it. I just think that it's become a point where these guys throw so much money at these players, where I would I would just you know I would rather have extra draft picks if I could get them and build through the draft because I think there's just so much more promise there because. Usually, you know, free agent guys are they're they're five years in the league, six years in the league, or whatever it is, and they still they're in their prime. But man, they're asking for a lot of money, and I've just never have seen, you know, Michael Thomas was a guy that's he's a free agent this year for the Giants. He's a guy that they brought in. I think he was one the free agent that really did well for the Giants. Okay, um, other than that, I don't know too many other ones recently that have done such a great job. Alec Ogletree was he a guy that you feel was worth the money that they paid him to play? And he was acquired via trade. <clears throat> yeah. But they, yes, okay, I, I apologize. You're talking about recent free agents, you're saying? Yeah. That the Giants brought in in terms of really truly making an impact? Yeah. I'll bring up a list. As you continued, though, I brought up the list of players that are due to hit free agency, which okay. we could certainly go over. Sure. Michael Thomas is on that list. Mm -hmm. uh, Golden and Leonard Williams we brought up time and time again. Mike Remmers is due to hit free agency. Then you have... A variety of other guys. Wasn't Spencer, Some, Spencer Pulley one too? No, Spencer Pulley was locked up with a long-term deal. He was. Yeah, so he's still under contract. Uh, that's not a concern for them. They have Jalapio and Pulley under contract. But you have guys like Antonio Hamilton. You have Dayon Buchanan. You know, some of these other players that got reps, whether it be on special teams or defense or were late additions. Scott Simonson is a free agent. Corey Coleman, again, the wide receiver, unfortunately, tore his ACL. You have <clears throat> Eli Penny. You know, outside of really Golden Williams, Michael Thomas, you're talking about a lot of other complementary pieces. Yeah, not, for not the Giants. that jumps off the page. Yeah, not a lot of the heavy hitters on this roster due to hit free agency. Antonio Hamilton uh, is another guy who I had brought up. Yeah, none of these guys really. Well, but me. here's <clears throat> where I would take your point. I agree with you, Jeff. You don't win in free agency, and then all of a sudden it translates to no. five or six additional wins. I think that was yeah. your main point. Yeah. Your main point, at least this was my takeaway, the draft is always how you want to build the bulk of your team. No you want to complement it with free agents. There you go. You don't want to have to fill all the voids with free agency. And this goes back to 2016 because mm -hmm. this also can bring up some of the free agents that you were talking about in the past. Sure. And 16 is a notable year because that was a year where the Giants realized they have a number of voids on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. So what did Jerry Reese do? He was extremely aggressive, and he went on a spending spree, and they brought in— million. Yeah, a lot of mana, a lot of moolah. Janoris Jenkins, Olivier Vernon, and Snacks. 
So those three guys came in, and year one was an extremely positive, immediate return. And everything looked good, and the team made the playoffs. But then what followed was not a duplication of 2016. And then what happens, Jeff, is you realize you have so much money tied up with three or four players, and they may not be producing. Some of the guys are hurt. Or also, you can't round out the rest of your team with the necessary pieces so that's why the way to balance a team should be 60% draft, 40% free agency. I'm just throwing out yeah. an ideal number. It could be, where, be higher. Correct. 70-30 it yeah. would be even more ideal. But what I'm saying is it shouldn't be 50-50, and it certainly shouldn't be the scales tip 60 free agency and 40 draft. No. You want the draft to outweigh free agency. It's just a matter of also at the same time, finding those key playmakers in the draft. Remember, you could say, we're going to build our team through the draft, Jeff. And then if it goes three straight years and you don't find playmakers, well, hey, it sounds great to go through the draft, but you need results at the end of the day. You really do. And that's the importance about doing your homework and drafting players. And there's no perfect science to it. It's all a matter of getting these guys that you think are going to be good players to that you can cash in on them. And again, We've talked about this before. What are, What is the goal of one of your draft picks? Your goal is to try to get them to their second contract and retain them, right? That's that's hard to do because there are situations where the guy grows up, he gets good, and he's not affordable anymore. We've got plenty of plenty of, of, of examples that we can go through, okay, um, that the Giants would just have said we cannot pay him what the market's going to pay him. Now, they certainly made an offer to that player before and said this is what we can, and you know, money talks. It really does. Well, that's why I like the idea of the tags, especially the transition tag, because I love the fact that you could tell a player, we're very interested in bringing you back, but we understand right now that you may want to test the market and you may want to see what else you could get out there. So we're going to tag you. That doesn't mean you can't talk to other teams, no. but all it means is that bring us back an offer. And then we'll determine what we want to do. Now, the danger of the transition tag, Jeff, (laughs) is that a team can go out, give a guy an offer, but put like a poison pill in, Mm -hmm. whether it be the back end of the contract, the front end, and do something to really throw... The other team off. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it backfires on you because you gave a team the opportunity to get creative and you know you can't match that. So there are circumstances where it doesn't necessarily work out ideally, but... I do like the transition tag, maybe even more so than the franchise tag because of the ability and flexibility to at least match the offer, as you pointed out. They both have their their goods and their bads, right? I I really do. And from a player's perspective, the good about a franchise tag is you're getting the top of your position, right? So which would really equate to a lot of money guaranteed, by the way. Um, And so the bad thing about the transition tag, and we all know this, is, is the injury. I mean, I, I mean, the franchise tag is the injury part of it, right? Even know that you are guaranteed your money, which is great. But the fact is that you also, you don't know if you're going to play that year and have a career-ending injury, right? So what happens Always is run that risk. those guys, I promise you, their agents are over there in Lloyd's of London. They're taking out a policy that they feel will give you the amount of money that you thought you could probably get in free agency. Um, they're going to pay maybe half their salary in the premium. But the fact is, is that they'll have it. You know, and so it's a it's a huge risk from a player's perspective. Yeah, you get rich you quickly. Um, you know, defensive line position, for example, for Leonard Williams, what's that going to pay him? Probably fifteen million a year. You know, somewhere around in there, and 
that's kind of what he's looking for. But um, from a, from the Giants' perspective, that's great. We're going to keep him and we'll give him 15 million, and we're going to see if he can, you know, play good enough that we give him a contract maybe during the middle of the season is when we kind of sneak one in and say, listen, we're going to sign you to a four-year deal now because. We, you know, we're a little bit healthier on our cap situation. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it, guys. It really is. In terms of 2020, the tags, just to give you an idea, defensive end is just under $18 million for the franchise tag, just over 15 for the transition. Defensive tackle, just over $16 million for the franchise, just over 13 for the transition. So that's what some of the projected numbers are. Now, these are projected numbers. Remember, the league is not going to officially announce them until oh, February 25th, which is when the tags can officially be given out. And there'll be a number that officially comes up. Yes, yeah. because okay. the league has to set that so that teams know what exactly they're dealing with. But those are projected numbers. So that's the ballpark. And the reason why we're bringing that up is because we're talking about the tags in conjunction with the Giants. If there was a player that they would at least entertain the idea. And I think you and I are in agreement. You have the conversation about Leonard Williams and Marcus Golden. Those are really the only two players that you would even think about having that conversation. Now, the flip side of the injury concern, Jeff, that you brought up is what Marcus Golden did. Marcus Golden said, I'm going to sign a one-year deal Mm -hmm. with the Giants because it's still a proven opportunity for me. And I'm going to hope that I'm going to ball out. He did. And he did. And now he has an opportunity to reap the rewards where it's not just perhaps the Giants that are interested in bringing him back. It's also the rest of the league taking notice. And that's why it's a great story because you see a guy have a torn ACL and then, you know, it takes him a year or two to get back to form. You always like to see a guy regroup. And you do. to his credit, he took care of business. And 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 really, I mean, you look at, I, I guess I could say that that's one free agent that worked out, right? I mean, that was a guy that Absolutely. was brought in here. Yeah. And um, so he worked out very well. And I think that, you know, he did he did what everybody was supposed to do. Prove it, right? I mean, this this is a prove it leak. If you can show me, and there's a lot of teams that will do that. They'll say, listen, prove it to me, we'll, we'll pay you, okay? We just we just got to see. And, and they keep their word and they do it. And I think that... The other part about Marcus Golden is, is that aside that his 10 sacks and he played well, is he's a great locker room guy. He's a good good character. I mean, so these, these things make sense sometimes to just re-sign these guys. And also, you know, you just hope you have an agent that's not going to blow smoke up you. You know what I'm saying? And that tells you how good you are and you should be expecting $18 million a year. I don't see anybody paying Marcus Golden $18 million a year. I just don't. I see him maybe in the, you know, 13. 10, 11, 12, 13, somewhere in there. But we'll see where, where he lands. But I think it's a great opportunity for the Giants to do something like we just talked about is using the transition tag on him to see what the market will give him. And guess what? If somebody comes out there and lays out the red carpet for Marcus Golden and says, hey, man, we're, we're going to pay you $16 million a year. God, go get it. Yeah, you know? go get yours. Listen. <laughs> you go get it and then let the Giants come back and say no. But my God, that would be, it's guaranteed, go get it, you know? So, and to me, the transition tag just gives the team the first right of refusal, what they normally would never get with an exclusive, not exclusive, a regular free agent. You just don't, if I'm a free agent this year, I don't have to come back to the Giants and tell them, hey, you want to match this? You don't have to. I mean, the Giants will ask you to do that. They'll ask you, Lance, hey, listen, go out and give us a chance to match it. Then they make it just say, you know what? I'm, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm taking this and see you later. I'll, I'll see you in September. We play you or something. See, a player like Golden, to your point, Jeff, where things get interesting for him is if teams start tagging a number of players in his position oh, who are he, at the top of the he, list, he might then he up. all of a sudden yeah. skyrockets. So that's where 
your estimation of the twelve to thirteen million could, gets boosted could, by another three to four million. By by listen, I'm I'm in real estate, right? And the the true definition of 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 what your house is worth, if we call it market value, market value is what somebody will pay for your services or pay for your house. That's market value. Sometimes market value is inflated. Sometimes it's deflated, right? You have a house, I tell you it's worth this, and I'm wrong because the market says to me, your house is not worth that because I have three offers on your house that people have said, this is what I wanna pay for you, that's the market. Again, this market can be pushed up because of the, tra of the tags. You got Shaq Barrett, you got all these other guys, and all of a sudden, yep. you know, you have, you have Marcus Golden, who's down here maybe at the, at the upper top of it, but maybe six or seven below, and now all of a sudden he's the second guy because all those other things, and guess what? You're right. That goes from 13 to 17. So he's actually, I'm sure him and his reps, they're pulling for the tags. To they be want to tag everyone They, they want to see Shaq Barrett. They want to see Yannick Ngakwe. Yeah. They want to see all those, all guys, those guys, Eric Armstead, tag them. Yeah, yeah. Because, because um, then all of a sudden he knows, okay, a team banking on shoring up their pass rush in free agency who was hoping yeah. to really blow one of those guys away with an offer can't because they're locked up. And sure. now all of a sudden he becomes a very attractive piece. And back to your, when you opened up the show about how this, all this can affect free agency, can, can in effect, uh, effect your draft. Is it, you know, you might be able to go and get some some guy for a good value and all of a sudden you're looking through the draft to, to, to draft a wide receiver and someone falls in your lap in free agency. Well, you know what? You're no longer looking at that position anymore. So all these mock drafts get messed up. Oh, yeah. You're going to change your game plan. That's yeah. why I always say it's way too premature to start it, reading really mock drafts right and now. projections and this and that. I think if, I think if there's anything we have, to, we have to really look at in the current state of where we're at is transition, franchise tags, and free agency. Those are the things yep. we have to – because you know what? We want to see – we want to see the, um, the numbers and we want to see everything about – these draft picks that are going to go in the top 10, right? We want to see all their measurables. Dude. Are they, how good are they at laterally back and forth or this and that? And those are the things we have, to, their, their workouts. We're going to see their workouts. And you know, these guys, <laughs> they're, they're, they're prodded. There's every measurable to mankind on these people that they can make, that we can make an analogy if this is the guys who they really want. And also, you know, Lance, a lot of these guys, it depends on systems that we talked about earlier. Are you a three, four outside linebacker? Are you a three technique defensive lineman? What is it that I'm running that I'm looking at the draft going, we can draft this guy because of our system. There may not be a guy there that you need that you may trade down to. Let somebody trade up to get that person and, and acquire some picks. And we've talked about Dave Gettleman, the possibility of him trading down. He's never done it before, but you know, unless you, you have a guy, in my opinion, this year that you really, really want and he's there, then you don't trade down, but I'm trying to build this team with some, give me some more picks. Give me some more picks. Well, especially in terms of some of the transactions they've taken part in over the last yeah, few seasons. Yeah, lost so a three and a five, They've lost right? some picks. Yeah, so there's definitely validity behind that, but I'm also with you where if there is somebody, when you get ready to pick it for that, absolutely you're enamored with you take the player you and you don't ask any questions you get them and yep. you can sit here and play the coulda woulda shoulda game in terms of stockpiling picks but remember it's all about what you do with the picks see it's no, great no to question. have the volume of the picks yep. and i wouldn't dispute that in terms of a conversation with anybody but yep. 
it's about what you do with the picks, not that you have the picks. We yeah. could sit here and say, okay, a team's got 17 picks. Great. Show me the results that you got with the 17 <laughs> picks. No question. Just, don't just tell me you got the 17 yeah. picks. Yeah, I mean, that's great. Congratulations. You yeah. win the bet. You win the pick lottery. You got 17 of them. <laughs> Wonderful. So in three years from now, tell me what those seven, how many of those guys are on your roster and how many of those guys are you looking to re, to extend their contracts or even look to, you know, you're going to re-sign them in the next year because they were on a four-year deal. So, you know, the, the top five, they get a five years with the first first round draft picks. A right? four-year deal four and a fifth-year option. option. Yeah. And then everybody else, there are uh, four-year Four-year year deal. Yeah. Everybody else is a four-year so deal. So my point is, is that if you take those 17 that you just talked about and you are at 50% of them, I think 50% of them would be really, really good. Okay? When you talk about seven of those, seven and a half of them are still on your roster and still producing, that was quality drafting at that level. Okay, if you tell me that one is left, you didn't do a very good job. Well, and go back to 2019, Jeff, when they had a lot of picks. And remember, we were even talking about realistically, all these guys, it's impossible for them to make the roster. They had seven picks, right? Or nine. They had nine. Well, they wound up in terms of total. Let's see. They had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. They drafted 10 players in 2019. That's what they walked away with drafting. But keep in mind, Chris Sladen didn't even make the 53, then went to the practice squad. And then Big George, he was pretty much hurt the yep. entire season. Yep. So two guys didn't even see the field last year. That's right. So they're down to eight. Okay, Ryan Connolly tore his ACL Promising. four games into the season. Yep. Now, I'm not saying that none of these guys have a future with the team. Don't get me wrong. But I guess when people get so worked up about we need 10, 11 picks and we need 10, 11 players to come in. Realistically, it's impossible to see 10, 11 guys impact the roster in year one. So that's three guys we eliminated right there. And then everybody else you can make an argument, Daniel Jones, Dexter Lawrence, DeAndre Baker, O'Shane Zimenez, Julian Love, not until the latter part of the year, but But finally did get playing time. Darius Slayton, that's six, and Corey Valentine. So seven of the 10, you can argue, got on the field, had an opportunity to make contributions. But my point is, more often than that, you have double-digit picks. Those guys are not all seeing the field. And they're all not making the 53-man roster. Yeah. Yeah, I mean— That's just the nature of the beast. Yeah, 14 would would be a lot. (laughs) That's why I was saying if if seven of those guys were still playing, it would be—or made the team would be great. Well, to have seven of the 10 is is pretty good. Yeah, well, I I believe that there was a report that the Giants um, in— some articles had the Giants in the NFC East, by the way, that they were the top, their top rookies. They they were the number one, like as far as they ranked within number the one. division, within the division, in, in yeah. terms of what productivity, productivity, out of the, the guys, class. yeah, their, their rookie class, uh, as far as productivity and playing time and things like that. So that was good. Yeah, you know, um, so you know, I, I think that if you compare what Jerry Reese and then you compare what Dave Gettleman has been doing over the years, there's you know, both of them had their good and bad, but you know, Dave really, when you looked at the last two years. He's had some real good production out of his draft picks, and you want to find that one, Darius Slayton. You want to find that guy in that late round that, that really all of a sudden contributes to a way that you never thought he would, and then it makes you look really good, right? So, and I think that Dave Gettleman and his staff have a good way of finding some of those guys, and that's through their scouting department and just having an idea of how this guy can help your football team because he really did. I mean, look at what he did last year. So, you know... Talk about free agency and where where the team should go and things like that. I've I've made my I've made it known that I believe that the cornerback is a position in free agency that I would like to go see somebody, uh, the team bring in a quarterback, a cornerback, cornerback excuse me. Yeah. Um, and then also this is a very heavy wide receiver draft. I would not I would not be upset 
if they went out and got another wide receiver and brought him in here with Daniel Jones and give this kid some some weapons because folks I'm telling you things happen and I'm not wishing anything on anything but you know that that and he did play at the end of the season but you know Sterling Shepard with those concussions scare me those things come back to haunt you sometimes and you never know what can happen so you got to build some depth amongst that receiving core because Listen, those guys are still, you know, Golden Tate's getting up there in a little bit of a year. Great season last year, by the way, and missing four games. Um, he still can give you some production. But as far as long-term with Daniel Jones and getting Darius Slate and some of these younger guys, some some reps with him, I'm all for a ride receiver this year in this in this draft. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Mountain cold refresher made to chill. All right, let's open up the phone lines. We check in with Marco, who is in Connecticut. He joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Marco? Hey, guys. How are you? Doing all right, Marco. What's on your mind? It's been a long time. Um, things are good. I just I had a quick little um, story I wanted to share with Jeff. Okay. And then I had a question about Jason Garrett. Jeff, um, I don't remember the year, but um, it was when you guys were doing training camp in Albany. I had gone there. Maybe, I don't know. I, I really don't remember the year, but I, I was there, and it was, be- oh, you had double, two practices in the same day. Oh, my God. So, you're kidding me. How long ago was day. that? Wow. <laughs> okay, so you had, fin- you, had finished, you had finished the morning practice, and, it was, and I had stayed for the morning, and I was going to the afternoon one. And as the players were kind of walking out to the afternoon practice, I was like standing by a tree with um, my wife and her family. And uh, Tim Hasselbeck was a backup quarterback, and he walks out, and he's with one of the offensive linemen. And all I said, I remember saying to him, I was like, oh, hey, you're, you're Tim Hasselbeck. And he just kind of looked at me, and he, like, stone-faced, and didn't, he just, like, shook his head no. He's like, no. He's like, I'm, I'm Jeff Eagles. And he just kept walking. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if that sounds like Hasselbeck, but uh, that's totally Hasselbeck. Are you kidding me? That's totally him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He he, and his brother's the same way, by the way. Matt Hasselbeck, because I played with him oh, in Seattle. Cool. They are both goofballs. So yes, that's <laughs> yeah. absolutely true. It was Tim Hasselbeck. It was not me. Um, but that's a good story. And I miss those days. Uh, got, those those, those uh, days in Albany were a lot of fun for the fans. I know that. Oh, they were great. You could be walking and just like, stuff. yeah, like Michael Je- Michael Jennings was on the team and he was driving some car that like, oh yeah, the old uh, jacked up Chevy like uh, Cheville or whatever. Yeah, the big big uh, huge it. tires. Oh my god, loved it, man, loved it. But um, hey, I got a question about Jason Garrett. I want to know what you guys think about this. I read something the other day that that's always dangerous. But go stuff. ahead. At least he can read. <laughs> yeah, no, all right. I know. Uh, you don't know where it is on Twitter, but he, he had stopped calling plays in 2012. Is that true? Well, they had Scott Linehan came in as the play caller, or he was the passing coordinator. Then he took over play call. But I, I want to say Linehan took over play calling maybe in 14. You may be right. I, I'm not exactly sure if it was 12 or 14. But, yeah, Garrett did not call plays his entire tenure as head coach because Linehan was a guy that they brought in to take on that role for many seasons. I, I just, I guess I'm curious. Do you guys think um, he, you lose something you know, we talk about some like these head coaches that, uh, like, especially like in the NBA, there's some head coaches, or even like someone like Bill Cowher in the NFL. He's he's been out of the game for so long, and then all of a sudden, the rumors of him coming back just kind of die out, and they're like, he's been gone for so long. Yeah. And Garrett has been in the game, but do you think he? Do you think you lose something um, because he hasn't called plays? Right. It was. Um, 
it was the uh, I forget his name, but they kept him this year. Uh, they kept him on the new regime, but more. Uh, yeah, more, more. Kellen Moore, and now the game, maybe the pace of the game. Uh, the, the I don't know how much. It, even though the game has changed on yeah. offense, he's been part of it. What do you think about that? I, I, well, I think I think you answered. Well, I think you answered your own question. The fact that at least. Jason Garrett is still in the game. He's still on the sidelines. He's still in offensive meetings, I promise you, um, especially with Kellen Moore being so young and just taking over the reign for the first year. Um, I feel like Jason had a hand in the game plan. Now, I do believe that you got to get back into it, but for those guys that are around the game so much and then calling plays, it's just like riding a bike. It eventually, it'll come yeah. back to them. They may make a mistake here and there, but that's what's good about preseason. You get those four games to kind of get back into it. But I feel he'll just pick right up right where he left off, good or bad. I think that there's the way that games are called from years ago and today are different. And I think that, mm-hmm. you know, nowadays you have all these <laughs> – it's amazing how many coordinators you have on a team now, right? You have a passing game coordinator. You have a running yep. game coordinator. You have a play-calling coordinator. You have a, a drinks coordinator. You have, a, <laughs> a you know, somebody that stirs a Gatorade coordinator. I mean, gee whiz, how many coordinators are there? So all these guys, those jobs are basically – they all come together and work on the offense. They work on the defense. But – I think it'll be fine for him. I really do. I think okay. he's probably looking fine. forward to it. All right. Um, one more question, then I'll jump off. Uh, sure. I heard you guys talking about Leonard Williams. I'm just curious. Uh, a lot's been made of about the options that the team has, uh, the different tags. Yeah. And then either and maybe moving away from them if if things don't work out. Let me ask you though, from a, from a leverage standpoint, Jeff, do you think there or and Lance too? Do you guys think? there's something to it that he has all the leverage be, just because of what the Giants gave up. And now, like, you know, all arrows are pointing towards Gettleman. Really, really, like, kind of making good face on the trade and saying, like, hey, I told you we'd be able to keep him. Um, I, I don't think he's going to mortgage mortgage the farm to kind of save good on the trade, but what do you think from a leverage standpoint? Because you guys got to know him a little bit better than maybe we did. Uh, behind the scenes, what do you think? Not so much. <laughs> well, I mean, guys. we don't get to know him that well. Well, but, I but, mean, regardless of whether or not you know a person, remember, the agent is involved in the negotiation. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, he as an individual is not necessarily going to be sitting across the table. He's going to have his agent do a lot of negotiating. That's why you hire somebody so you don't have to get into those messy negotiations. And we'll let you go on that note, Marco. Appreciate the phone call. As far as leverage, Jeff, any player that is acquired who does not have a contract in place, I would say has leverage. Because if you then play well and the team gave up assets for you, then clearly you know in the back of your mind if they don't retain your services, then they're going to be viewed as just a rental for X amount of years. So it's just like, for example, I don't want to get off topic, and I'm not bringing him up so that we can have a whole other debate. So if you're going to call up and talk about this subject, I'm telling you now we're not getting into it. But I'm going to bring up Odell Beckham for this very reason, Jeff. The reason why the Giants had an attractive piece in Beckham after they gave him the contract was that any team that was thinking about bringing him over prior always ran the risk of, well, we now have to negotiate with Odell. Cleveland then said, well, we acquire Odell, but we know we have him locked up got the number. with a deal. So the game of leverage changed from that perspective once Odell had a contract versus before when he did not have a long-term deal in place. So I don't think Leonard Williams is any different yeah. if you compare that to Odell Beckham. But 
any agent is going to tell you whether you have the leverage or not, that doesn't mean that the negotiations go according to plan. Never, never. <laughs> I mean, and I will tell you this, it's, it's, yeah. it's rare. It's rare that the player actually has leverage because the, what are you doing? You're trying to get the most money to play, right? Who's going to be paying you? Okay, so so you, you got to remember, they're the ones that are they're going to be writing the checks for you. They're the ones that are going to be bringing you the signing bonus, giving you guaranteed money. A lot of times you don't have the leverage. It's basically, this is what we're going to give you. And until you, until you get, this is the thing. Now listen to me. I've been through free agency many times. I know how this works. Until you get that other team that jumps in the ring with you, you now have leverage. Okay? And, and usually that happens. But sometimes it doesn't. And for instance, it's exactly what I told you. Like, and I'm just, this may or may not happen to Marcus Golden. And I hope it doesn't. But I'm just saying that as a player's perspective, I'm going to tell you something. He could go out there and think that he's going to get all this money. But there's only one team in the game and it's his own, his own team. Yeah. You know, and so there is no leverage there. Now, Leonard Williams has all the leverage in the world because of a couple things. Number one, he's a good player. Number two, the Giants gave up a lot to get him, and maybe there's a handshake deal with, with the agent and the team that said, we're going to get this done, and they kind of maybe have a number in mind because you kind of find it hard to believe that they would have traded him to the Giants or the Giants would have taken that and given up so much if there wasn't going to be some sort of a amicable decision that this is going to get done, right? It doesn't make sense, um, and I'm a big believer in things got to make sense. So, but I may be wrong there, but the fact is that he does have leverage, tons of leverage when it comes to that because of those draft picks. Now, whether the leverage is 32 million a year, then there's no leverage there. He's not going to get that. <laughs> but with, with all relatively speaking numbers, yes, he does have leverage in this, in this situation, in my opinion. Yeah, a lot of it is going to be, to your point, Jeff, how many teams are interested in Leonard Williams other than the Giants? Yeah, because, he, you yeah. know, then the Giants are essentially bidding against themselves. And there yeah. you could say... Well, then Leonard Williams doesn't really have the leverage. All he needs is he needs an offer from another team, and then all of a sudden mm -hmm. you can argue the scales tip heavily in his favor. But, you know, let's not be naive. Whenever a team acquires a player, usually, and this is not a written rule, but usually the team tends to at least have a conversation with the representative of that player or the player himself to say, hey, we're bringing you in, we know you're scheduled to be a free agent, and maybe starts putting in place some preliminary conversation to your point Correct. about this is what we're thinking, what we're looking at, but we're not going to have these hardcore negotiations until after the season. We just want to make it very clear, yeah. and then maybe they provide some feedback on their end. Sure. And you know, you, you see how these, this free agency works, right? There's a run on it for a few days. And then all of a sudden it dries up a little bit. The money dries up and then they go to the second tier and then the third tier and then the street free agent stuff like that. I'll give you a quick story if you don't mind. So when I, how I came to the Giants, you talk about leverage, okay? I had the leverage to come here when I, when I came from Seattle. Seattle offered me a contract. They, they didn't want me to go to free agency. So they... Um, they stay came to me and they gave me a very low ball offer to stay with the team, which they used their leverage against me because they, they said to me, your kids are in school here. You've been here oh, for five years. You done da da da. So their, their point was he's not leaving. He's not going to go. He doesn't want to get up. You know, so we're going to take yeah. the home count hometown discount thing. Right. So they did that to me. I told them, no, I said, you know what? I, I I've worked long enough to, to get to free agency. Now, the year before I got here, Jim Fossil was the head coach. Jim Fossil was the offensive coordinator for the Arizona Cardinals, which I had a history with in Arizona when he was there. The year prior to that, 
The Giants tried to trade me. Okay, Jim they tried Fossil to tried to me. acquire yeah. me, um, but they, but Holmgren wouldn't let me go. So that just kind of fizzled out. So so I knew that Jim Fossil, come twelve oh one, was going to want me to come to the Giants. You knew there was some mutual interest. So what happened was, I went back to the Seahawks because yes, I didn't want to leave. Right, I wanted to keep my family there. I was there for five years. I wanted to stay there. I gave them the opportunity, which I've told you a lot of times you don't have to do this. And I didn't know this to the Seattle Seahawks, but I went back to them and said, listen, here's the deal that the Giants are going to give me. If you match this, just match it. I'll, I'll, I'll stay here. And they said no, because they didn't think that I was going to get that deal. Right. So Ernie Accorsi at the time was the GM. I called Ernie back and I said, listen, I'm going to give the Giants, I mean, the Seahawks a chance to match this because, you know, my family's here. Ernie said, that's fine. You have until whatever to let me know because we're moving on to the next guy. And I said, great. So I went back to the Seahawks, gave them the number. They said no. I went back to the Giants and I said to Ernie, I'm in, I'm coming, right? The, The Seahawks called me back an hour after I told Ernie, and they increased their offer. Wow! Right. So they tried to play your bluff, essentially. And so, and I, and I told Ernie, I said, "Listen, I'm a man of my word. I told you I'm coming here. It's a done deal, and I'm coming to New York." And that's how I came. Those that team, they came back after the fact. So things like that happen. Oh right? yeah. And so it's a tricky little business, and it's just you know, there's a lot of. A lot of crap in it, too. Well, that's another reason also <laughs> why a deal is not announced as official, Jeff, to no your question, point, yeah. until the contract is signed and yeah. why even on this program we emphasize according to reports because of some <laughs> of love the things that, that happened yeah. at the last second, which is what you exactly just laid out. Quick clarification before we re- reopen up the phone lines. Jason Garrett called plays in Dallas. I just looked it up to confirm. Through the 2012 season, 2013, Bill Callahan took over as the play okay. caller. 14, Scott Linehan comes in as the passing game coordinator and then was later named OC. But through 2012, Garrett was the play caller. That was his final season calling the plays for the Dallas Cowboys. So it was for four years, three years? He well, he plays. took over he as the no. interim head coach in 10. But remember, he came over in 07 because he was the OC under Wade Phillips oh, that's right. okay. for a few seasons. Okay. So 07 to 12. OC gotcha. calling the plays okay. for the Cowboys. Okay. Let's head back to the phone lines. Neil is in New York. He joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Neil? Hi, Neil. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon um, to you. I have a question about three guys, young players, that I didn't get to see enough of last year. But what I saw I liked. One's injured, Ryan Connolly. Mm-hmm. Um, the other... I like Nick Gates all through uh, the exhibition games preseason. And what I saw of him, I liked. And the other one is a tight end, Caden Smith. Okay. I did, oh, no big sample size from any of them. But I just want to know your thoughts on those three guys, and I'll listen off there. All right, Neil. Appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much. Well, I think Caden Smith probably got the bulk of the sample size, right? I mean, he played quite a few, not quite a few games, but. He was in there for Nick Gates was kind of a, a spotty guy would get when somebody got hurt. Uh, definitely a promiser, promising future. Um, Pat Shermer really liked him from the get go. That's why he made this football team. Um, and then Caden Smith, hey, comes over. He got away from San Francisco. San Francisco didn't want him to get through waivers, but he did. 
and or didn't and got came here. So, um, and the other guy was uh, who was the other one? The third one. Well, he named Nick Gates, Caden Smith, and he said Ryan Connolly, who tore his ACL. Yeah. Well, I think he he was showing some promise. He was. He really was. And now we're gonna have to see how he responds. But I think those three guys are are certainly you know Caden Smith is a guy where. You know, I think that he's, you know, is he going to make the team this year? I don't know. It's just a matter of, you know, he's, he's not a an all-pro. He was a guy that they thought was a young, promising um, player. And who, who, we'll see. We'll see what happens with him. But the other two guys, I think, are will be around. The front office, I know, thought very highly of Caden Smith. He was at least on their radar in terms of even being drafted, drafted by the, the Giants. Before, yeah, that's right. So that, I think, says a lot about not just Shermer and the staff, but the management side of things, too. But you brought up a great point, and I've said this time and time again, Jeff. When a new coaching staff comes in, you have to remember they have a different set of eyes yep. and a different evaluation of all of these players. So while they may have shown flashes, the flashes were when a different coaching staff was evaluating them. I will say this. I thought Caden Smith impressed me as a blocker. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the things he did, Jeff, when he wasn't getting the football certainly is promising for yeah. him. He continues to do that. I think the new coaching staff would welcome that and then some. As far as Ryan Connolly, you're right. A lot of positives. I mean, he made that great interception against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, mm -hmm. and then he had a, a good play against the Redskins in the game that he got Always hurt. Always around the ball. Yeah, very active player. It's just, it's a serious knee injury. Let's yeah. not, you know, yep. move around that fact. And remember, Marcus Golden had to overcome that, and he didn't get back to himself until Usually two years year later. later. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, that's a question mark in terms of how does he get back on the field? Where is he at this stage? And then as far as Nick Gates... I think Nick Gates proved that he can handle being a starter in this league. Mm -hmm. But it depends on what the Giants are thinking. I think Gates is going to be there for competition. And I think that at worst, he'll be that rotational offensive lineman. He'll have an opportunity to prove himself in training camp in the preseason. But I don't think with a new coaching staff coming in that Nick Gates is a lock to fill in for Mike Remmers. I think the Giants are going to still do their due diligence to see who else they could perhaps bring in yeah. to compete for that position. And, you know, I think Mike Remmers is a guy that you look at what he's making. He could be a guy that could be, you know, a cap casualty too. Well, you he's know. a free agent. Oh, he's so, a free agent. Yeah, Mike, oh, no, I'm think, I was thinking of Spencer Pulley. Excuse me. Pulley. Spencer Pulley. No, Pulley yeah. could fit that bill that yeah, you're talking that, about, That's Jeff. what I meant, yeah. 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 At yeah. the so, center position. Um, and, you know, so can Nick Gates play center? I don't, you know, maybe he well, can. Well, he can. I mean, he's capable of playing every spot. So I think he has the versatility you know, to a, do so. But it, to your point, if he's, if he's a ability to play and start in this league, then maybe he does have a chance. But unlike him or any other players, all of these guys are on it. It's an open slate with this new coaching staff. You don't know the philosophies of the new coaches. You know, they may not like a Nick Gates just the way because he doesn't have great feet or something. You know, I don't know. But there's going to be some guys that you think are going to make this team that aren't going to make it because of just they just don't fit the, the scheme and the, and the way that the coach wants them to. I think it's fair to say none of those three players hurt themselves, at least in That's my estimation, point. in terms of what they put on the field last That's season. Right. Where you said, even if you were somebody not associated with the organization, Jeff, I don't know what the hell this guy was doing on the roster. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think anyone would have that takeaway. Shermer spoke very highly of Gates after every one of his starts. That's right. The coaching staff was very fond of him. Caden Smith, too, I think turned yep. a lot of heads in the limited time he was here. And Connolly, unfortunately, was struck by the injury bug. But prior to that, all of them, I think, received positives 
from the coaching staff and anybody who at least was watching from near or far. So that bodes well for them that they would be, I think, welcome back in the 90-man roster and have a legitimate shot to compete. But whenever a new coaching staff is here, I don't think any spots are guaranteed. That's just at least my no, main takeaway. And, and even if you were impressed by a player, do not be disappointed if that same role is not just handed to them. Because remember, new coaching staff comes, once again, with a different perspective. Let's head back to the lines. We check in with Len in Columbia, Maryland. Len, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening? Hey, guys. How are we doing? Very, from, a, from the standpoint of labor management relations, a very sobering discussion this morning. <laughs> um, it seems to me that the bottom line to all the verbiage, and it was all very good, very good, very enlightening. Uh, That's what we bring to the table. We try. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the bottom line to everything that you said is, and I think this is what you were trying to tell the listeners, it's a business, Jeff. Oh, yeah, 100%. There you go. There you go. It's a business. And the players, anytime the players think they got more than 50% of the vote in this thing, they don't. Management's in control. No question. Always are. They're the ones that pay the bills. Always in control. (laughs) There you go. And I I can put it to you this way. You you mean Ernie didn't come back and say, (laughs) oh, I'll give you, even though you agreed to something, and, and an hour later Seattle comes back and offers you more, oh, I'll give you what Seattle offered you? What did he say? A contract is a contract. No, he, I, I basically told him that, you know what, I honor what you guys gave me, and, you know, I don't want, that's it. So, Better boy. Yeah, that's yeah, but it. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't go back and say, you know what, we'll give you what Seattle offers. No, no, because. No, I, no, no. Yeah. It, it, and, here, and here's my point, Jeff. It, isn't it interesting? And, and listen, guys, I'm, I'm going to end up positively. I know this sounds negative, <laughs> but I'm going to end up positively. Um, isn't it interesting how a contract is a contract at the front end? Not at the back end, Jeff. <laughs> no question. <laughs> let's take let's take yep. Leonard Williams. If we sign Leonard Williams to a five-year, seventy-five million dollar contract, there's no way Leonard sees seventy-five million dollars. Well, no, and that's the whole thing. I could yeah, have, you I, you know, and this is before there was guaranteed contracts, right? The only guarantee we would get was the signing bonus portion of it. Yeah. But you do see now all the guaranteed money, right, that these guys are getting. It's almost like a prerequisite for me to come here. You better guarantee me X. But it may Thank not be God. 75. It might be 40, you know. But, yeah, you're right. Thank the back God. end Thank of it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. Thank God for the Players Association. That's Jeff, right. That's it. Which has helped you to chip away at it. Yeah. Management still got a little more than fifty percent. Yeah. They do. But, but that but that union has helped 53. you come a little closer. The the point is with Williams. <laughs> for those counting We're going to back up. We're going we're going to back up the contract. The, the fifth year he's going to get twenty one million dollars. He'll never see it. That's okay. As long as he gets what he wants up front. Yeah, it depends yeah, on the guaranteed and money and whatever his agent. That they play, and I'm, I'm sure Leonard's agent is telling him, is, is telling him all of that. Um, 1956, Jeff, the Giants won the world championship, beat the Bears in the championship game. Coach Jim Lee Howell had four assistant coaches. <laughs> now, two of them were named Landry and Lombardi, and that may make up for ten on each side. Of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you think so. <laughs> when you have those guys. But it was, it was four guys, four yeah. assistant coaches. Well, Not there's the, the game. there's 20 now. Yeah. Well, the game has <laughs> yeah. clearly evolved yeah, from many go. different there fronts. But uh, again, Lombardi and Landry probably made up for a bunch of those guys. Sure. That was some coaching staff. Um, it, let me let me give a shout out here, and then you know let you go. And the other stuff, the combine stuff that I had, we can come back later. I'll call next yeah. week. Um, 
you know, shout out to, to ownership here. They, they held firm on prices for season tickets for another year. I, I think it's, this is the fourth year in a row. And they held firm on the value pricing on the preseason games. Good parking has remained the same. Good move on their part. Everyone can relate to that, and uh, I appreciate them doing that. And let, but let me just say, Jeff, hmm. if they if they want to cut the preseason prices by another fifteen per ticket, I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah, <laughs> something tells me I don't think you'd be complaining, Len, about that. And, and appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much okay. for uh, giving us a ring. That'll, that'll throw a little gas. When in was the, the last the- time a fan <laughs> ever said that they would shy away from uh, tickets being? cut by a certain percentage. I, I don't think that there's ever been a fan that would uh, take away from that opportunity. Well, I, I think that just like everything else in this world, it, everything's getting more and more expensive by the day. So as long as the team can do it, they'll hold off to it. But until then, you know, they, at some point in time, things have to change. And that's what happens. I know a lot of people don't like it. Look what happened going from the old giant stadium to the new one with the PSLs. That was not a very popular decision, but it's one that was being bounced around and being done all over the league and just has to be done. Let's head back to the lines. Peter is in the Florida Keys. Peter, welcome to the Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us? Hi, Peter. What up? Hey, guys. How are you guys doing today? Good. You're right. Good. Awesome. I know that's running short on time with the show, but I had two questions for you. Hopefully uh, it'll be quick ones for you. First question, I know when Dave Gettleman came to the Giants, he revamped the scouting and the drafting process. Now, if it was me, I would set up, you know, new ways to set up the big board, how they were great players, and even adding more scouts as kind of ideas that I would think off the top of my head. But I've never seen anything, you know, anywhere to say exactly what he did. Like, do you guys have any details as to what he's implemented? Um, I have somewhat of an idea, not from, you know, I can't can't give you all of it, but I think it was the grading system that they use and how they rank and the number system. I think that everyone's different, and I think that the old regime had it rankings and things like that, the way they evaluate. The new regime did it, they did it their own system. So it may be, in a roundabout way, it might be the same as how they're looking at things, but it's just how they're communicating the rankings and how their evaluation goes. So that's what I think they changed it around. And I also think that he might have changed some some coaches, or excuse me, some scouts areas, people working in this area, working that area, or put a new guy in there, or removed a guy here. So there was a big overhaul. But I think the gist of it is is how they go about ranking the players in their own system, whether that's a percentage. This, this player is a 61 on a 1 to 100, you know, or he's a 6 on a scale of 1 to 10. Things like that. Or a letter system versus or a, letter a number system, system or, or this or that. Exactly. Something to that degree. Yeah, because yeah. I do know this. I've I've been to Ken Sternfield's office before and seen his <laughs> – you, you've never seen so many players in your life on a, <laughs> on a wall. But they have them ranked in every position. They have them ranked from one all the way down. And they have the little the – little, you know, they're, they're like this big. If you guys are – if you can see that. If you're not, they're, you know, they're little names tags, and they're put on the walls at the position, and that's the rankings. Incredible. Huh. You'll never see that, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, neither no, will any other team show you that either. <laughs> yeah. So, I wish I could be a fly on the wall in that draft room to kind of see not only the the discussions they have, but actually how those big boards turn out on you know the day of the draft. And stuff. That would be kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, but now those are those are not those are those are basically so 
upstairs you have your you have your pro personnel guy and then you have your college scouting guys right so the one board is all current pro guys and their rankings are free agents or they're not free agents they're basically rankings of all the guys that they like to see and they also have numbers next to them where they're going to be a free agent next year or what how many years they have left and they still rank them so it's a constant board moving constantly the thing is evolving up and down yeah because you're scouting the entire league at the same time that you're scouting as the college a pro, prospects as a of pro course. personnel guy yeah. then you have your then you have your same board in a different room with all of your college guys and that that changes also guys, very fluid the, what was your other question the other the other question i had for you um question about free agency in the draft you know to me it would sound like it would be more beneficial for the team to have the draft first that way they get a shot of 250 new guys coming into the league before free agency so you don't have to spend all that money on these high dollar guys like we were talking about with Lucas Golden and such well you look at the NBA the NBA is set up exactly how you're talking about they have the draft before free agency Hmm. exactly now my, my question is is that negotiated with the CBA because I would think that you know Players specifically want the free agency first, so they can get paid. Absolutely. You know, prior is that is that kind of a negotiation point? I don't know for sure, but I would I would imagine that that would be absolutely. You know? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know off the top of my head either in, in terms of why it's structured that way compared to other leagues. I would think that has something oh. to do with the collective bargaining. And the agreement. other thing too is that I believe it has to do something with the league year. You know how the league is set up by the year? Well, the league year is set up in March as opposed to January, for example. But part of that is because the playoffs carry over into a new year. So I don't think they could start the new league year January 1 because the season is still being played. But I think what what your question was is why don't don't they just do the draft first and then free agency after? I think part of it is that I don't think the players would ever agree to that. And two, that the league year starts in March and that the the new money, cap money, comes in and boom, you can spend it. And the players want that. Right? Yeah, well, because it would impact free agency That's dramatically. Right. And appreciate the phone call, Pete. Yep. Thanks Thank so much you, for weighing in. And I think also you bring up a, a very interesting point, Jeff. The economics of football versus the NBA. This goes back to when Len called in. NBA contracts are guaranteed. That's right. NFL contracts are not. So NBA players are not too worried about the draft since they know once they're given contracts, they know they're going to see that money in the NFL. Yeah, and, it's, and it's big money. And it's big, Well, it's huge money. <laughs> and part of that is because there's less guys on a roster, yeah. so the way the money breaks down is very differently. But in the NFL, because your contracts are not guaranteed, that's more of a reason why you want to not have to then compete with draft picks. Right. You want to try to get as much guaranteed money as humanly possible. So I don't see that changing because I can't see the NFL Players Association or the union saying to themselves, oh, sure, yeah, bring the draft up, move it forward, and uh, we'll be okay with that. All right, let's uh, head back to the phone lines, even though we probably should wrap up the show, but we'll try to squeeze in Charlie in Portland, Maine. What's happening, Charlie? Definitely squeeze in. Yes. <laughs> hey, Lance. Hey, How are we doing? Hi. Hey, I'm good. You know, you uh, mentioned that Conley uh, had that interception. Well, you know, two plays later, Mr. Fumble fumbled it away and gave it back to Tampa Bay. Okay, but I I don't understand how that has anything to do with the discussion about Ryan Connolly. We weren't breaking down the Bucks giants game drive by drive. We were discussing Ryan Connolly. You found it convenient for you to bring up the point that, yes, Daniel Jones turned the ball over very shortly after that play, and I'm not disputing that, but it's irrelevant to the conversation about Ryan Connolly. That's all. I'll tell you how it relates, Lance. Yes, please. You were talking about Shermer 
just praising Nick Gates and praising this guy. Who didn't he praise? He praised everybody. He was they couldn't play. He praised. He he played. He you know he did it all the time. He did it to Jones when he fumbled five times in a game. It was like oh he's okay. He'll be all right. He uh, you know he had a good game. He had a good throw too. That's that's, that's <laughs> well. But there's it. also guys that he didn't go out of his way to. <laughs> Talk That's about why it. He's not our coach anymore. Okay. Thank God. Well, why are we but, talking about? But, but, what, but all right. Well, yeah. Why are we having a conversation on what a coach? Would, would you like? Would you like to? Well, would you like to weigh in on Nick Gates? Would you like to weigh in on Nick Gates? No, no, I don't want to. Oh, that. Okay. So you got nothing to say about Nick Gates. You just evaluate people talking about Nick Gates. But yes, go ahead. Yes. Yes. What I wanted to bring up, Jeff was saying, and I couldn't believe it. You were saying. This ought to get good. Rivers has more left in the tank than Eli. Mm-hmm. That is that is not true. <laughs> Eli Manning could play right now and start for a team, and if he was on a decent team, a good team, a playoff team, he could bring them to the Super Bowl. Rivers could never bring anybody to the Super Bowl, maybe to the Bowl, but he will never bring them to the Super Bowl. He, he is not that player. So Eli still has got tons left if he wants to play, and hopefully maybe somebody will entice him to come out of retirement. I doubt it, but he can play. So I would just want to throw that out there, Jeff. Okay. I totally disagree you're, with you. You are totally right, as always, right? Yes. <laughs> well, that's Charlie's opinion, no, and we wouldn't my, think of my. any other opinion from have, Charlie than you that. You can have your opinion. Correct. Exactly. Expressing mine. Well, but then, so then in fairness, though, Charlie, if you want to be politically correct, then you should have said, I don't agree with Jeff, as opposed to Jeff is wrong. Those are two different oh, did things. Did I say Jeff is wrong? You did. Well, well, yes, you did. You you went at him very hard on that. And as somebody who has no dog in this fight. I disagree. I disagree with Jeff. Okay. Okay. I there you go. There, well, that, now, now Jeff will be able to sleep well at night yeah. because you didn't scold him to the degree that you did earlier. And, you know, as we always try to tell people, it's, it's all in the delivery, right? I mean, you can mean the same thing, but the delivery's got to be, you know, so you can kind of, you know, just kind of. It's got to be nice and smooth. Not I dis I disagree with you. That's great. You're wrong. It's, yeah. it's exactly. fighting words. Well, because you poked the bear. You yeah, poked Charlie's right. bear. But Charlie also is overlooking the fact that Eli was a starter for two more years than Philip Rivers because Rivers did not become a starter until 06, whereas Eli right. started in 04. So from the definition of more gas in the tank. Philip Rivers did not use as much gas as Eli Manning and also has from up the, to this point from in his career. the definition of fuel in the tank, there's no fuel in the tank for Eli because he retired, so he's not playing this year. He's on the golf course. So th- yeah. That's what I'm saying. He's it, got it, fuel he for playing golf. He has more in the tank because he's yeah. playing. That's what I was saying. There you go. Oh, yeah. Oh. Can there, we hang Jeff? up on this guy? <laughs> oh, I would gladly. I'm just waiting for you to get everything you needed to get out at the expense of Charlie. Eli, if you ask Eli if he had more gas left, of course he would say yes. Of course he would say yes. Of course. Would he say you're wrong? Yeah. That you said that you didn't? The fact, I think he would. The fact that we are at 1.14 p.m. in the afternoon still speaking with Charlie rubs me the problem. wrong way. I don't blame you, Jeff. <laughs> it really does. I don't blame you. All I mean, right, Charlie. All right, guys. Yes, thank have you for so much for weighing Bye, in on Charlie. all of these important issues. Uh, wow. What a strong note to finish the program off. It's amazing well, that you Charlie, bring up Eli Manning in some yeah. capacity, Jeff. It doesn't matter what it is. Charlie's going to have. He's probably going to tell me that in. his team should have won the AT and T Challenge this weekend in Pebble Beach because he was playing. You know, yeah, that. and it's true. what happened? 
I don't know. Slipped he didn't up. Putt well, or but he's definitely got more in the tank. Yeah, short game, not as impressive as the deep ball. Apparently, <laughs> he's got to work on it. Well, he'll have a lot of time to work on it. Eli will be the first one to tell you that. That is going to do it for us. Wraps up Big Blue Kickoff Live, brought to you by Coors Light. Mountain cold, refreshing, made to chill. Certainly appreciate all the phone calls. We'll be back up and running again tomorrow at noon Eastern as we continue to take you through the latest off-season headlines. For Jeff Eagles, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday, and always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.